You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Awesome. Grab your Bible and turn if you would to the book of Ephesians chapter number 5. Uh, we're continuing our series entitled Alive Together. This is message number uh, 35 in our series uh, so far. We've been going verse through verse verse by verse uh, through the book of Ephesians. And so Ephesians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves today. If you miss uh, any message so far, you can always get caught up on our website at whoecala.org. Also, uh, last message's, uh, I'm sorry, last week's message was a heavy one, and if you missed that, you should listen to it again, uh, or listen to it the first time. If you, if you heard it, you probably should hear it again at some point. Uh, we took a look at how uh, we should walk in purity uh, and all that that means for us, and so if you missed that, get caught up on our website. Today, we're taking a look at how we can walk in assurance. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 5 uh, is where we find ourselves. We're going to start in verse uh, number 1 and go through verse number 5 this morning. Be therefore, chil- therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But fornication, that word fornication means sexual immorality and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let be not once named among you as it become a saint. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather the giving of thanks. Verse 5 is a heavy verse, and I want you to read it this morning. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who's an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I made a mistake several years ago. Uh, this has been many, many moons ago because I definitely learned my lesson with this when I was at a, a store and I, I saw a lady who was uh, ringing people up. And my, my wife had, was pregnant at the time with our son Vanderlei. So this would have been, uh, I don't know, 16, 17 years or so ago. And I was so excited because, uh, you know, my wife's pregnant. And we're having, we don't know what we're having and we're, we're getting all excited and getting geared up. You know how that goes as you prepare for the birth of a child and stuff like that. So excited. And I saw a lady at the, uh, at the uh, checkout counter that I, here's the, where you're gonna get me, I thought she was pregnant. You ever been there before? And this was before I know, even if you think, and even if it's very obvious, like they swallowed a basketball, you don't say a word until they bring it up, right? Uh, I learned my lesson, and I've never made that mistake ever again since then. And I said, my wife is pregnant. I said, how long, far along are you? And she looked at me, and she says, I'm, I'm not pregnant. And I said, oh, what's the appropriate response after somebody says that? There's nothing good, nothing good to say. I think I forgot something. Like, you have to just leave, just excuse yourselves from the situation. And it was so incredibly embarrassing. Since then, I've never made the mistake ever again. And again, if somebody looks like they're nine months pregnant and about to pop, I don't bring it up unless they do uh, because I don't ever want to get caught doing that again. Uh, and so, but here's the thing. When someone is pregnant, it's kind of a, they're either pregnant or they're not pregnant. It's not a, a kind of pregnant, sort of pregnant, maybe pregnant, it's, it's one of those things that you either are or you are not. It's not like it, it, it's kind of getting dark outside. It may or may not be afternoon or evening. We're not really sure. No, you're either pregnant or you're not. When it comes to things like salvation, this is really important. You're either saved or you're not. Very black and white. There is no kind of saved. Sometimes I'll ask people, if you die today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? 
And some people will say, well, I'm about 70% sure that I'd go to heaven. That, those are terrible odds, just so you know. 70% would be good, like free throw percentages or three-point percentages, you know, on base percentages in baseball. That would be great, you know. Uh, touchdown completion passes, 70%, that would be great. 70% sure that you're going to heaven is a terrible percentage. Anything less than 100% is a terrible percentage to have. And the Bible says that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. First John chapter five says, uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, them that believeth on the name of the Son of God. God doesn't want you to think that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to hope that you have it. He wants you to know for sure. Now, when we get to passages of Scripture like this that we find ourselves in Ephesians, verse number five is pretty difficult because sometimes people get to this verse and they say, well, I've done these things that are in this verse. I am an idolater. Maybe I'm an unclean person. Maybe I'm a covetous man. Maybe I am being sexually immoral and the, this verse here says that I'm not gonna have eternal life. What do we do with that? Uh, we really have to look at the totality of the Bible and what God means by this passage of scripture. Now, I'm not gonna let you off and just say, oh, he's just talking really sternly there about sin. Oh, he is for sure. But you and I, before we leave here today, need to be 100% certain of our eternal destiny. And I'm gonna help you figure that out because it's really, really simple. As we take a look at this passage of scripture, it's important to know first thing uh, by way of introduction. First of all, everyone needs a savior because we all stand in condemnation. The Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one person in this room today has it all together. Not one person in this room has been perfect throughout our life. Every one of us have broken God's law. Uh, Romans chapter three, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law. It's not something that we've done once or twice. It's something that we do on a continual basis because we are sinners. We try to do better, but our better is not good enough. Well, we'll try to do our best this week and our best is simply not good enough because deep down inside of us resides a sinful nature. And the Bible says that our sin has a price tag associated with that for the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter six, verse number 23 says that. Because of our sin, we will all die one day. We'll die a physical death on this earth and then we'll stand before a holy God and we'll be judged for our sin. And your sin, the price of that, the wages of your sin is death. You'll die physically, you'll stand before a holy God and because of your sin, you'll be cast away from God for all of eternity in a place called hell, and there you will pay for your sins. That's a terrible, terrible way to live out your eternity. And God loves you, and he loves you too much to allow you to go to hell. He loves you too much to give you no way out. But God is also righteous. He's also holy. He can't just wipe it under, uh, sweep it under the rug and act like it never happened. Somebody has to pay. You can pay or someone can pay for you. I like the idea of somebody paying for my sin. But here's the thing, I can't pay for your sin because I have my own sin. You can't pay for mine because you have your own sin. This church cannot pay for your sin. You cannot do a lot of really good stuff to make up for all the wrong that you've done. You need a savior, I need a savior. But this can't just be anybody. It can't be a really good person that we work with or uh, maybe you'd say, well, my spouse is a saint compared to me. Your spouse cannot save you. Your parents can't save you. There's only one that could do that and, he, and it was Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfectly sinless life for one purpose, to die on the cross to pay for our sins. 
Jesus went to the cross willingly because of his love for you, because of his desire to pay for your sins. And he died in your place. And he's willing to forgive all that put their faith and trust in him. So you've got a decision you need to make. What are you gonna do with your sin? Will you pay for it on your own? You'll do that by being separated from God forever in a place called hell. Will you allow Jesus to pay for your sin? If so, that requires you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. And it requires you to repent or turn from your sins. It's the only way that you can be saved. And if you are not saved, you will not go to heaven. Jesus says in John chapter three, if any man is not uh, born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Being born again is another word for being saved. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, know this, you have a death sentence on your head. And the moment that you die, you'll be paying for it for all of eternity. I don't say that to scare anybody. I don't say it to freak you out. I just want you to know the truth of the matter. My greatest fear is that anyone here this morning would die and spend eternity separated from God. This church exists to tell people how they can know for sure their sins are forgiven and live in the joy of living a forgiven life. You see, there's two requirements for salvation. Very, very simple. Two requirements of salvation. First and foremost, faith in Jesus Christ. You gotta have faith in Jesus. This is not enough to just believe that Jesus was a historical figure. Uh, This is not enough to just believe that Jesus really existed. Uh, This is not enough to just kind of like the teachings of Jesus. Faith in Jesus means faith in him as the only savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I believe that I cannot make it on my own. Jesus Christ is the only savior of mankind. It's not Jesus plus this other religion. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's not even Jesus plus my baptism. It's not Jesus plus my church attendance. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. My faith is in Jesus as the only savior. We have uh, today several folks who will be baptized following this service over at Alamona Beach Park. I hope you'll plan to join us for that. It's gonna be awesome. But they're not being baptized so that they'll go to heaven. They're being baptized because they've been saved by Jesus. It's a picture of a decision they've already made. Uh, It would be similar to a, a husband and wife exchanging wedding rings. They've already made a commitment to one another. And whether they have the rings or not, they're, they're fully committed. But the rings are an outward expression of a commitment they made to one another. And baptism is just that. But friend, baptism will not save anyone. If you believe that your baptism will save you, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is the only thing that will save you. I know many people, uh, I ask them, if you died today, are you sure you'd go to heaven? They say, I am. I say, well, how do you know for sure? They say, well, when I was 12 years old, I was baptized. What else? Nothing, is that enough? It's not enough. Jesus is the only savior that we have. Galatians chapter two, uh, verse number 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified of the faith of Christ. Next, we have to have them faith in Jesus as the payment for our sins. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I cannot pay for them any other way. I cannot be a good person. I cannot do good works. I cannot do religious stuff to pay for my sins. My faith is in Jesus Christ as the payment for my sins. Next, I have to have faith in Jesus Christ as the resurrected king. I have to believe that he died and the third day he was resurrected from the grave. 
I've met people before who I've talked through my faith with and talked through the gospel with, and I've told them, hey, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And they said, well, I believe he was a good man, but I don't know if he was the Son of God. Friend, if Jesus is not the Son of God to you, you cannot be saved. Well, I believe that Jesus died. I just don't believe that he actually rose from the grave on the third day. You cannot be saved unless you believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is. You just can't do it. We must have faith in a resurrected king. Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So step one for salvation is faith in Jesus and who the Bible says he is. Now the second is is a, a couplet together with that. And that is repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse number three, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. The word repent is an awesome word. As we find the word repent uh, in the New Testament, uh, the word metanoia was used in the uh, Greek language. It meant a change of mind that resulted in a change in behavior. In the Old Testament, the word repent that was used literally means to change directions. It means I was walking this direction. Now I turn and go the opposite direction. Uh, John Stoker, could you give me a hand with something this morning? And uh, JP, I'm gonna ask you to give me a hand. This is my sin. John's gonna hold my sin for me. John is not sin. John's gonna hold my sin. JP is going to be Jesus. Now, for me... Before I met Jesus, I was living in my sin. I was okay with my sin. I didn't have a problem with my sin. Me and my sin were actually really good friends. But I had to make a decision that my sin was going to kill me. And I was not only gonna die physically, I was gonna die and be separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. And that day, I made a decision to turn away from my sin and go to the only person that could help me from my sin, and that was Jesus. I had to turn my direction and go the other way. I repented of my sin, and I came to Jesus. You with me so far? I cannot pursue my sin, yet at the same time pursue Jesus. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. My sin cannot get closer to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is perfect. He's holy. He's repelled by sin. You ever had two magnets that you flip on opposite ends, they push away each other? That's Jesus and your sin. You cannot come to him with your sin because he's perfect. He's holy. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum. I must repent of my sin to come to Jesus. Now, we must, to be saved, You must believe that Jesus is the Savior. You must believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the resurrected King. We must turn from our sin and turn to Jesus to be saved. This is critical. You guys can like just like prop your uh, signs up there. Uh, That'd be great. So as we look at this, it's important to understand that repentance is more than just feeling guilty. It's more than just apologizing or feeling sorry. Repentance is a change. My wife and I, when we uh, first got married, uh, she realized that she married a sinner. She realized that very soon. Um, We had, uh, my wife is very, very neat and clean, which I'm thankful for, I really am, because I'm incredibly messy and disorganized and disheveled. Uh, But uh, 
when we first got married, I would do what I always did when I uh, would come home from work. I'd come home from work. I would kick my shoes off by the front door. I'd be walking down the hallway. I'd take my socks off. I'd throw them uh, on the floor in the hallway. I'd take my shirt off. And while I'm standing in the kitchen with the uh, refrigerator door open to see what's there, it was usually like a half gallon of really old milk when I was a bachelor. And now when I got married, I opened it up and there's actually food in there. That was awesome. Uh, and while I'm standing there, I, I'm taking my shirt off and I'm throwing that where it's at. Uh, and as I'm walking down the hall, she could always find me just follow the trail of clothes, right? And she would say, can you not just make one pile? And, and me and all of my wisdom of 21 years old and being married for all of like three weeks, I said, maybe this is just who I am. You married me for who I am, right? And she was just like, well, I don't like this part of who you are. Let's change it. And she's like, can we just make one pile of clothes? Just one pile. Said, no, because when I do laundry, I just walk through the house and I just kind of collect things as I go and I make it to the front door with all of my laundry. Isn't that genius? She didn't think it was a genius idea. And so then it came to the point where I, where I would begin to do my regular uh, after work ritual and she would say, this really frustrates me. And I would say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry, whatever. I'm sorry, fine, can I go on with what I'm doing? I, I just wanted her off my back. I just wanted her to stop telling me what to do in my own house, right? Because I, I was the man, right? And then they came to about week number two of me doing this. I get home from work and I'm undressing and stuff like that. And, and she says, would you just make a pile, make one pile? And I said, look, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? I, I said I was sorry. What else do you want me to do? And she starts to cry. And I'm just like, oh, great. What do you do with that, right? You can't be mad at that. And so I said, what's the problem? And she said, the problem isn't the clothes. And I said, well, what's the problem then? The problem is, is that you don't respect me. Wow, okay. Now we're going to have a real conversation. Now I feel like the biggest jerk in the world. I went from one moment being super entitled, this is my house, I get to call the shots to now being I am the worst husband that God ever created and this woman is uh, in a terrible spot that she married a, a loser like me, right? What was the difference? The difference was the change of my heart. In one moment, I'm saying sorry because you'll get off my back. Sometimes when we sin against God, we say sorry because we think it'll take away our guilt that we feel. We tell God that we're sorry or we ask God for forgiveness because we don't like feeling the way that we feel. We're not really sorry. We're not gonna change anything. We're just sick of feeling the guilt that we feel. We're tired of uh, feeling overwhelmed by the fact that we cannot be what God wants us to be and we just say, God, I'm sorry, just forgive me for that. Oh, here I am again, you know, looking at pornography again. God, forgive me for this. But God doesn't want us to just say we're sorry. God wants us to be gripped at the depths of our soul in light of our own sinfulness. And he wants us to change. That's repentance. Repentance is more than just feeling sorry. Repentance is more than just feeling guilt. It's deeper than that. Here's the thing, when it comes to salvation, repentance is more than just praying a prayer. I'm gonna say something that's gonna blow your mind. Blow it, are you ready? Just, just prepare to have your mind blown. Nobody was ever saved by just praying a prayer. Think about that for a second. Nobody was ever saved by just praying a prayer. When I was a kid, we, uh, uh, the, the Bibles that we would have in the pews at church, uh, oftentimes when you flip to the very back, the very last page of the Bible was the sinner's prayer. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that before? Very back of the Bible is the sinner's prayer. Say this and you'll go to heaven. 
There are no magic words to go to heaven, friend. There's no prayer that you say, one, two, three, repeat after me, and this is what will save you. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if a man believe in his heart and confess with his mouth, then he can be saved. You can pray all the prayers that you want to. You can pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If your heart does not change, if you do not turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you cannot be saved. There's no salvation apart from true repentance. If you don't believe me, Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse number 22, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works? I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Hey, just because somebody prayed a prayer in vacation Bible school when they were seven years old, and they never walked with Jesus a day of their life doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. Just because somebody that you were standing on their front porch, you said, hey, repeat after me if you believe this, and they repeated the words that you said, doesn't mean that that person's saved. Hey, just because your grandmother told you one time in Sunday school class that you put your faith in Jesus doesn't necessarily make it so. And I'm not here trying to give you doubt about your salvation. I want you to have 100% complete assurance of your salvation because you've turned from your sin and you've turned to Jesus Christ. You see, repentance is turning away from your sins. If you do not turn from your sin, you will not be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. But his long suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants every single person on planet earth to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. But friend, you cannot be saved as long as you will not give up your sin. Now, does this mean that we have to work or earn our salvation? Not even remotely. True repentance is a change of mind resulting in a change of heart, resulting in a change of life. This is what the word repentance in the New Testament means. It means I made a decision in my mind to change the way that I was thinking. And the change of thinking that I had, it changed my heart, which now changed the way that I live my life. When someone accepts Christ as Savior, there should be visible fruit in their life, visible change because they were once close to their sin, now they've turned their back on their sin and are pursuing Jesus instead. There should be some sort of fruit. Acts chapter 26, verse number 20, it says, we showed first unto them at Damascus and Jerusalem and on throughout all the coasts of Judea and then the, to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet of repentance. It means they not only repented of their sins, they did the things that one would do when they repent of their sins. Let's just say, for an example, uh, when, before I met Jesus, before I was walking with Jesus, I was a foul-mouthed, alcoholic, pornographic, uh, and, and completely, totally consumed man. When I meet Jesus and I repent of my sins, I'm gonna do the things that one would repent of. I'm not gonna drink anymore. I'm not gonna look at pornography anymore. I'm gonna pursue Jesus Christ instead. That's the fruits of repentance. You see, when we really change, there'll be a change in our lives. 
People will be able to notice a change in our lives because we're pursuing Christ. Hey, if somebody prays a prayer but never changes, that might be evidence that maybe they never really got saved. Maybe they just prayed a prayer. Take, for example, this man that I was describing, alcoholic, looking at pornography, sleeping with women, foul mouth, ugly, unclean, as the Bible would say in this case. He says, ah, yeah, tell me what I gotta say to go to heaven and I'll do it. Oh yeah, I'm sorry for my sins, save me, amen. Does that work? Yeah. And he continues in his sin for not a week, months, years, and never changes. Was that person truly saved by Jesus? At the end of the day, only God knows, but I would say no, because there was never any true repentance. It's more than just feeling sorry. It's more than feeling guilt for what you've done. It's turning to Jesus by faith. Now, does this mean that we have stuff we have to do to make up for our sin? No, it doesn't. You see, I could never pay back the gift of grace that I was given. That's why it's called grace. I could never do anything to earn my salvation because it's grace. I can't do anything to make up for what Jesus has done for me. I can't. But because he's saved me, because he loves me, I want to live for him. I want my life to be different. I don't want to be the same guy that I used to be. I want to be different. Now, this is not penance where I have to do uh, good works to make up for all the wrong that I do. You will, you'll never find a case in the entire Bible where penance is a biblical idea, that because I've sinned, I have to do all this stuff to make up for my sin. Friend, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. That made up for everything you will ever do, past, present, and future. But I get to live for the one who died for me. That's a joy. That's not a requirement. It's not an obligation that I have. It's something that I get to do. You see, it's important to understand if you get nothing else today, I want you to get this because sometimes when we talk about repentance and salvation, people get this messed up. Salvation is not based on our behavior whatsoever. I'm not saved because I'm a good person. I'm not saved because I go to church. I'm not saved because I got baptized. I'm not saved because I read my Bible. I'm not saved because I pray. I'm not saved because I share my faith. I'm not saved because I try to help other people. I'm saved because Jesus is my savior. That's it. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine are in your notes here. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The only thing that you brought to your salvation was your sin and your faith. That's it. God didn't save you because you were a really good person. <laughs> he had to save you because you were a ridiculously terrible sinner. That's the truth of the matter. You see, sometimes we can get the idea that, well, my sin's not as bad as that guy over there. You know, I, I mean, I've never done stuff like that before. I mean, when Jesus saved me, he didn't have to like reach so far down to pick me up, right? Oh, you couldn't be further from the truth. You see, we're often mistaken of the depths of our own sinfulness. We've often forgotten about where we came from and how bad off we are and where we would be without Jesus Christ. And if we turn our back on this book and Jesus' church and our body of believers that we call family, we will be off the deep end before you know it. I often wonder where I would be without the grace of God and I don't even want my mind to go there because it's not anything that I've done. We're saved by faith alone, 
faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. We are saved by grace alone. It is the gift of God. It's not of anything that we've done. It's God's unmerited, undeserved favor because of his love for us. And we are saved by Jesus alone. That's it. And friend, if you're here today and you think that you're saved because of uh, your religious pedigree or the church that you went to or the church that you were baptized in or someone who prayed over you, you are mistaken. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way. It's not based on anything that we've done. So salvation isn't determined by our behavior, but get, get this with me this morning. Our behavior should be determined by our salvation. My behavior doesn't determine the fact that I'm saved, but the fact that I'm saved should change the way that I live my life. Hey, look, friend, if I'm a child of God, I can't hang out over here in my sin anymore because God's called me to greater things. I can't pursue Jesus at the same time that I'm pursuing my sin. It doesn't work that way. I've got to pick one. Jesus writes to a church in the book of Revelation and he says to him, you're lukewarm and I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. But because you're lukewarm, he says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Just pick a side. And, and Jesus says, honestly, I don't even care what side it is. Just pick one. But the fact that you're playing both sides of the fence, the fact that you'll run to Jesus one day and run to your sin the next, he says, I'm tired of that. Our behavior should change because of what Jesus has done in our lives. True salvation brings about a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans chapter number 12 says, And be not transformed, or be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you and I are supposed to be a new creature in Christ. The day that we get saved, we have a, a new DNA that God gave us. We're no longer uh, rebellious enemies of God. We're now adopted children of the Most High King, and we need to live in such a way. But many times we're content of hanging on to our old sin. God expects a change. This is a heavy statement, but I'm going to make it. A lack of repentance and a lack of change is the opposite of salvation. A lack of repentance and a lack of change is the opposite of salvation. Now, hang on for just a second. Some of you are going like, well, the day that I got saved, I don't remember some massive huge change that, that happened. You know, I don't remember like I went in my closet and, you know, burned all my ACDC records and stuff. I, maybe there wasn't a massive change. Some of you don't even know who ACDC is or records are, okay? That's okay. But you say, maybe there wasn't some, I got saved when I was nine years old, okay? Had I committed any gross, egregious sins at nine years old? No. Did I have to get out of some street gang that I had joined at nine years old? No. Did I have to, to break off a sexually promiscuous relationship at uh, nine years old? No. But I remember as a nine-year-old boy remembering that my sin put Jesus on the cross and I hated my sin because of it. I had never felt that way before. 
Then you say, well, did you, did you make it up from nine to where you're at today, living a perfectly uh, close with Jesus walk? I didn't, I promise you that. I've flip-flopped back and forth with these before, more than I care to admit. I'll give you that today. But the fact of the matter is, there was a time in my life where I repented of my sin. I hated my sin so bad, all I wanted to do was get away from it. I hated my sin so badly that it made me sick to my stomach. I've been violently sick before because of my own sin. Have you ever been there before? That's what repentance looks like. I can't live like this anymore. I hate my sin so badly that I just want to run to Jesus and run from this and I don't ever want to see it again. That's repentance. That's the heart of repentance. And friend, if you will not repent of your sin, you cannot be saved. If you just prayed a prayer hoping to go to heaven and then just continue in your sin and have no desire to pursue Jesus or be like Jesus, I'm gonna make a strong statement today. Maybe you're not saved. (laughs) This is hard to hear, I know. It really is. But the Bible is very pointed on this. If you read through the book of 1 John, uh, we we preached through 1 John several years ago. And as I read through 1 John, as I read it, it's just talking about God is love and any man that loves God will love his brother. And I thought, man, there's a lot of good verses on love in here. And we started preaching through it. And I realized John's talking about a lot of people who call themselves Christians but aren't really Christians. He said this, if any man walk in darkness and say that he knows God, he is a, here's what he says, he's a liar. You call yourself a Christian and you've never repented of your sin and you lay down in your sin and you enjoy your sin and you don't feel bad about your sin and there is no desire for change, no desire for Christ, no desires for the things of Christ. Let me just tell you this, to call yourself a Christian, you're making God a liar. It's heavy stuff, people, I know, but I love you enough to tell you the truth this morning. It's heavy. An unrepentant sinner who lives in rebellion to God will not have eternal life, bottom line. An unrepentant sinner who lives in rebellion to God will not have eternal life. This is a huge deal. I couldn't just skip over this verse. You know how easy it would have been to just like keep on cruising through the book of Ephesians and just skip this, but this is heavy. Verse five's hard. And it's so important to God. This idea of a life change and being repentant of your sin and running from sin is so important to God that, he, that Paul makes the case three separate times in Scripture. If you're taking a look at your notes this morning, you see 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's heavy. Galatians chapter five, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, endings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Brings us to Ephesians 5, 5. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, or who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is serious business. It's heavy. I don't like talking about stuff like this. Salvation is easy. It's a faith in Christ and a repentance of my sin. 
But there's some people who think that they pray to prayer and they call themselves Christians because they show up to church once a month. I want to tell you today, if you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. But you can today put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and be forgiven like never before. You see, an unsaved person will be evidenced by the fruit of their life. The Bible says, how do you know a, a tree? You'll know it by the fruit on it. Jesus says a good tree can't bring forth bad fruit and the evil tree can't bring forth good fruit. That the fruit is an indication. Matthew chapter seven, verse number 15, beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You should know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree that bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. 